And he was like, what? I'm like, it's kind of like Hostess, but it's it's its enemy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> Hostess's mortal nemesis. Small Debra. <laughs> Penguin sweeties, welcome back to your favorite podcast, Summer Twilight Book Club, where your two best friends break ground every week in the pioneering field of vampire social work. Still no recognition from the NASW as a legitimate <laughs> theoretical practice orientation, but bravely, we soldier on. Someone's going to write a dissertation on us someday, I promise. So what, what you said, can you say what you refer to our fans as again? Sanguine sweeties. Yeah. I had a really hard time figure out how to pronounce that word for a long time because it's an Avid Brothers song and they say it in it, I think, mm-hmm. but like, but they're saying it and they're like, Avid Brothers singing voices that I was like, how do I, how do I verbalize this word when it is not sung? Um, not quite a, not quite a irrevocably <laughs> situation. I still, I Real still maintain throwback. that I stand corrected because Cole Sprouse did uh, pronounce that word irrevocably on Riverdale and we all know. Uh, that Cole Sprouse is also, on my work computer, there is still a little sticky note that someone in my office listened to my podcast, came over and wrote the pronunciation for a rye, and stuck it on my computer. Um, That's still there. Yeah. Anyways, um, what are we going to do? Well, what are we going to do here? Just as we do every episode, uh, we are here to steward all of our lovely sanguine sweeties through the four horniest books of our teenage years. Um, but before we do that today, we actually want to issue a content warning. Um, so the chapters that we discuss in this episode include a discussion of a character's suicidal ideation. And so the app today is also going to include some pretty frank and intense conversation about suicidal ideation and death by suicide. Um, so we'll drop the timestamps for that part of our discussion in the episode description so that you can skip it if you would like. Um, and we'd also like to remind you that if you or someone you know are having serious thoughts of harming or killing yourself, There are resources available to support you through that. You can call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. You can also use their online crisis chat. We'll drop the links to both of those things in the episode description as well. Um, We just want you all to take care of yourselves because we love you so much. Um, So now that we've gotten through that, can you tell uh, all of our lovely listeners what they might need to know about Twilight? I can. My throat's gotten a little gluey from all the ho-hos I've eaten. <laughs> Another reason they're not as good as Swiss rolls, but uh, Swiss, but Little Debbie should pay me. So it's just Stephanie Meyer. <laughs> this episode of um, Summer Twilight Book Club brought to you <laughs> by Little Debbie, mortal enemy of hostess. <laughs> Please continue. Okay. So let me tell you everything you need to know to bring you up to speed. We are reading a book series by Stephanie Meyer named The Twilight Saga. And the first book of the series, also named Twilight, is about a girl named Bella who moves to the Pacific Northwest to live with her dad uh, while her mom goes off and bones a minor league baseball player uh, in Florida. So that's how we start. Uh, Bella is uh, inexplicably popular with the fellas and 
inexplicably clumsy and super boring. Uh, during a faithful biology class, Bella meets a boy named Edward, who looks at her with just, like, disgust, and constantly is just going out of his way to avoid her, which is a bummer, because he's, like, really hot. So, uh, anyway, one day, Bella uh, just almost gets hit by a car. It's, you know, not great. Um, but it's saved by Edward, who has hu- superhuman strength and agility, in addition to, again, being very hot. And so Bella is hot on the case, and soon discovers that the boy she's horny for is actually a really old man, and hey, get this, a vegan vampire. Uh, that's right, he doesn't eat people. Only mountain lions. Or maybe it's pussy. Honestly, hard to tell. I mean, there really does not the way seem to be written. much of a delineation there. No. So then, they fall in love, I guess. Uh, but one day during a perfectly reasonable and not at all weird vampire uh, family baseball outing, totally a bunch of regular- Yeah, totally normal. <laughs> Regular-ass vampires show up and spoil uh, Bella's super safe fun. And so this guy named James tries to eat her, which Edward's like, nah uh uh And so she runs away back to her hometown in Phoenix, Arizona, and, like, that plan doesn't work. (laughs) It was really bad. And she gets bitten by James. Uh, Edward sucks out the venom of her in a very cool way or whatever. Uh, Yada yada, the book ends, and she goes to prom. So then the next book, the one we're on now, New Moon, Edward and Bella break up. Like, I know. I, like, I thought those crazy kids could make it. Uh, sorry, one kid... And one very old man. How could they not make it work? I sure as heck didn't see any problems in this relationship. But, alas, it's true. So, Bella goes into associate episode for several months, as we all do, uh, but eventually comes to. Uh, now that she can feel things again, she wants to feel everything. Primarily speed, pain, and painfully awkward sexual tension with her male best friend. Uh, and the rush, of course, that can only come with hallucinating your ex-boyfriend's voice. Because that's a thing that's happening now. Bella starts crashing motorcycles and just generally being really reckless and dangerous until one day, Jacob, her pseudo-boyfriend, pseudo-pet, gets really sick and stops talking to her. So then Bella uh, keeps trying to call down to the reservation where he lives to find out uh, where he is, uh, and just, like, shows up sometimes, basically stalks him, but to no avail. And so while he's not talking to her, Bella has a run-in with one of the non-vegan vampires named Laurent, and uh, she finds out another one of them, Victorious, after her. And she's a bunch of suspiciously large wolves, so none of that is super awesome. Uh, kind of scary. But the wolves chase away the vam- vampire, and it's, like, all chill. And so then Jacob finally stops being sick, and he's, like, a dick for a while, but then he chills out, and Bella figures out that he's a werewolf. And at first, she thinks that he's been murdering hikers around town, because that's, like, a neat, baseless assumption to make about your friend. I think that about Tahana all the time. I'm like, oh, you've been murdering hikers in the Pacific Northwest, right? You're basically a siren, but for the woods. Yeah, um, I mean, it seems like but- a reasonable conclusion to make when you don't see your friend for a while and you know that they live in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, they're probably They're probably murdering. killing hikers. They're probably yeah. killing hikers. But yeah. also, it's fine, because they're your friend. Right? Yeah. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. So hey, then she's like, wait, you, you're a you... non-murdering, you're a non-murdering wolf boy. So that's fine. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm just a wolf boy. And she's I'm not, like, I'm not, a, I'm not a homicidal maniac. I'm just a, a man that turns into a wolf sometimes. 
a no child who turns into a, a wolf child. sometimes. A, <laughs> a 16-year-old boy. <laughs> um, a child. I would like to remind all of our readers that Jacob Black is 16 years old. 16. Um, so Bella gives him some information about vampires, the enemies of the werewolves, and Jacob runs off to the woods uh, to call a wolf meeting. Um, and that brings us to now. So, so we got what happens in chapter 14? Um, well, it's a, it's a chapter called Family. So take for that what you will. So Bella shows up to the wolf meeting and is shocked to find out it isn't a bunch of wolves, but a bunch of, and I quote, Really big, half-naked boys. The, I Remake just, Twilight this chapter as a CW really just show comes in so now. hot with the description. So hot from Stephanie Put Meyer. Put them on Riverdale. Also, once again, children. So, this discovery is followed by Stephanie Meyer's uh, favorite racist description, describing all brown people as looking indistinguishable and russet color. Love that for me. So the tribe becomes angry when they realize Bella's there, and who can blame them? Bitch can't even tell them apart, but she's demanding space in their community. Fuck, Fuck that, Bella! No. So a boy Bella doesn't know, Paul, becomes so angry that he bursts into being a wolf. That is literally- that's, that's it. That's what happens. He's like, oh, I'm so mad. And then he- <laughs> I think the literal, like, phrasing every time somebody, like, phases- is that they explode into a wolf. <laughs> like, it's just like... <laughs> and I'm just imagining, like, cartoon so style, that there's just, like, a puff of smoke, and the word, like, <laughs> blam, appears on the screen, like, in front of him, and then he's just a werewolf. I like that. I was thinking something like, much more gruesome. <laughs> I was thinking more like if it were like on Misfits or something and it would just be like kind of gross. Uh, so anyway, so, so Paul is so angry that he burst into being a wolf because of course, you know, brown men can't control their yeah. anger or emotions either uh, and turned into literal beasts. Great. Love yeah, that. Like, I, I, maybe we've already talked about how fucked this is, but like, wow, wild that the brown people in this franchise spend half of their narrative time being turned into literal animals. Love that, Stephanie Meyer. Yeah. Yeah. So what especially, happens? What happens especially next? with it being like, oh, the people on the reservation are animals. Yep. Cool. Yep. yep. Cute. Love that. Love that, Stephanie Meyer. Very cute. God. Thanks, Stephanie Meyer. What happens after Paul explodes into a wolf? So Jacob jumps up to fight him, and he just transforms right in front of Bella's face. And I'm pretty sure I've seen this part in the movie trailer or whatever, but I've never actually seen the movie. Uh, I only have, like, nine more chapters of these until I do. Uh, but it is explicitly mentioned multiple times that Jacob's clothes break off when this occurs, just in case you were wondering. And um, the two fight as wolves, so that's, you know, a thing. And then Sam tells Bella to stay back, uh, ordering the others to take her to Emily's, who I do not believe we've been introduced to yet. So Sam then kicks off his shoes and runs into the woods as the boys, presumably to stop them from hurting each other or whatever. So after Sam leaves, the other boys, uh, Jared and Embry, start collecting uh, the remainder of the boys' clothes. And they joke about how they won't have any clothes left, though they do sincerely mention that Billy cannot afford shoes for Jacob, which is really, that's like so real. You know? Yeah, like I the the it's it's just like a really sort of like one off offhanded comment, 
um, about like, and it's presumably because he is like still in the phase where he's trying to learn how to control his phasing and, and is like not ever able to yeah. prepare for it. But there's just this offhanded comment of like, that's the last pair of shoes that Billy can afford for him is, is just, it's so upsetting. The name Billy, the name Billy is very funny in that context because it just sounds like every like Dickensian like old movie <laughs> where it's like, oh, Billy can't afford shoes for his son. Like, but it's just, like, it know. sucks though. It's real. And like, like it's God, like, like, the for, somehow Stephanie Meyer manages to like make accidentally stumble into like yes. a rich life and like this culture is, this of this is community. What I, this is exactly what I was about to say is like this is maybe one of the very few times that Stephanie Meyer manages to like actually capture the reality of what it is like for Native and Indigenous folks that live on reservations, which is that like the rate of poverty is so so high, and I like you know she didn't do that shit on purpose. She just thought it was like a clever thing. To say. But I feel like she kind of like probably true, but she like accidentally stumbles into it a lot because like I feel like they are all shown as like not having like a like as like there being a distinct like class difference between them the way she describes like their homes and things. Uh that it's like I don't think it's on purpose. I don't think it's on purpose in any good way, at least. I think it's just like she accidentally stumbled yeah. into accidentally making these the most compelling stories. So, anyways, after I thought that, the next thing I thought was, um the next thing I thought was, well, how big are their feet getting? Because I feel like wolves have really small feet. <laughs> so I googled wolf feet. Uh that and I was surprised. Dangerous. That sounds like <laughs> Well, I was surprised to find out that Googling that didn't bring up mostly anything heinous. It was just wolf feet. Like, where's the wolf feet porn at? Like, I don't want it, but I felt weird that it was missing. So, so, anyway. So, what were you anticipating that you would find when you Googled wolf feet? I thought I'd find one or two pictures of wolf feet and then a lot of uh, cartoons of Gross stuff. <laughs> I think maybe, I think maybe, um, if you tried searching wolf feet on Tumblr, that's what you might find. Give it a shot. Or be like white girls who've cut off wolves' feet and put them around their neck oh or something. Oh, remember Tumblr Bone Gate? Yes, I do. <laughs> so anyway, the boys take bets over who will win the fight, much to Bella's dismay. So after collecting the remainder of the clothes, they decide to go follow directions and go to Emily's house. So Embry drives Bella's truck as Jared sits in the back. And along the way, Embry mentions to Bella that she shouldn't stare at Emily, uh, who is Sam's fiance, uh, because it makes Sam upset. And as an explanation, he just says that it's dangerous to hang around werewolves. And honestly, there is so much to unpack here that I'm just going to break it down for you. Although some of this information isn't technically revealed for a few more pages, but like I remembered it upon reading it. So whatever. So they're going to Sam's girlfriend's house, whose name is Emily. Emily has scars on her face. Emily has scars on her face because she got hurt when Sam transformed into a werewolf or because he hurt her as a werewolf. We are told that Sam does not like it when people stare at Emily, not that Emily doesn't like it, or that it's inappropriate. In fact, we are given no comment on her feelings at all. 
And I fucking hate this part. I hate this storyline. Like, one of our Discord uh, people reminded me of the storyline uh, before we got to it, and I had forgotten about it. I had blocked it the fuck out because it's terrible. So Emily is a character who went through an incredibly tragic experience, and the purpose of her, the entire purpose of her character, as far as I can tell, is just to show the dangerous plight of being a werewolf and the dangers of loving one. Like, they're fucking Spider-Man or something, I don't know. So, on one level... I know that this is a common theme in other media that involves werewolves. Like, that they lose control and could hurt the ones they love. I know that's a common trope. But I hate this given to the context that Stephanie Meyer changes the lore so that the wolves turn in- So, like, they turn into wolves when they are angry or upset and are unable to control their emotions. Like, this is so fucked. This is normalizing partner violence. This is saying that men just can't control their anger or emotions sometimes. We should just be understanding because it's in their nature and they can't help it or some shit. Like, I just... I, I, and I, I, like, have more to say about this moving forward, but I feel like Emily as a character is so... I mean, all of the female characters, I think, in this franchise are really flat and one-dimensional, but I think Emily especially. Oh, yeah. Very much so. She is Wolf Girl, and that is who she is. <laughs> like, literally, explicitly called yep. Wolf Girl. Um, so in the car, Embry asks Bella how Jacob got around the quote-unquote injunction, um, which she explains is, like, Sam's orders not to say anything to Bella. Um, and Bella says that Jacob didn't actually tell her. She just guessed right. Um, and presumably this is included for us to learn more werewolf terminology. I'm here for it. I love it. Um, and then Embry also asks Bella while they're driving about Laurent. Um, and Bella confirms that Laurent wasn't a friend. And so she's like not upset that they murdered him. Because, um, again, Bella doesn't seem to be upset by murder just when people are werewolves. Um, but Emery says that they're technically not supposed to attack the Cullens or anybody associated with them unless they, unless the vampires break a treaty, break the treaty that they have by biting a human. Um, but Jacob was not willing to let it get that far, which is why they ended up chasing down Laurent when they saw him trying to attack Bella, despite the fact that he hadn't actually been there yet. Yeah, so Bella and the Wolf Boys uh, eventually reach Emily's house, which is technically uh, where we get the reveal of that half her face is scarred. And it's great and not bad at all, because first, we get another fucking weird and fetishizing description of her beauty, where Bella's all like, oh my god, may I thought at first the reason that they didn't want me to stare was because she's so beautiful. But then she suddenly, she turns, and she's described like a Batman villain, and half her face is ruined by scars. Yeah, and I'd like to announce to all of our listeners that we will, from this point forward, be using our Patreon money to send Stephanie Meyer to a workshop on how to write dynamic, non-fetishizing descriptions of characters of color, because excuse me, what the fuck is satiny copper skin and crow black hair? Like, oh, also, like, yes, you mentioned that, like, once Bella sees Emily's scars, she refers to Emily as once beautiful, which is kind of fucked. Uh, and says that her mouth is ruined, which is so deeply upsetting. Like, it really enforces yeah. this idea um, that Emily and women in general are useful only for their beauty. And so now her scars have, like, marred her beauty and she's been ruined. Um, and this is especially egregious considering the only thing that she seems to do in this scene, and also pretty much, like, for the rest of this book moving forward, is cook. Like, her only yeah, value. Yeah, so far, so far, that's all she's done. We like, literally oh, have not seen her do well, anything Well, I else. guess, like, if she's not beautiful, she might as well be useful in, like, like, it's fucking stupid. She's just a mom to a bunch of teenage yes. wolves now. Yes. And she's probably, like, 19 or 20. Maybe. 
Because Sam's the oldest. He was supposed to go to college. So she's probably a little older than Jacob. Yeah. Because she lives on her own, it seems like. Maybe. We don't actually know that it's not her parents' house. No, like, we, all we know is that, I don't, and I, I think they maybe say more about it in the next chapter, about it being her house. Like, it seems that she lives there, but, like, we don't know if Sam lives there with her. I have no idea. Like, we get no backstory about this character at all. Nope. So eventually, Sam and the boys come back, uh, all of them virtually unharmed, and is seeming, like, they're seemingly in good spirits. And then I'm just gonna have Sahana actually read... The scene when Sam walks in, because I have a lot to say about it. Okay, so... It's on page 3333. Yes, so Bella, this is when Bella is in Emily's kitchen um, with Embry. And Sam walks in. Uh, and Sam walks in. Uh, and it says, Emily, he said, and so much love saturated his voice that I felt embarrassed, intrusive, as I watched him cross the room in one stride and take her face into his wide hands. He leaned down and kissed the dark scars on her right cheek before he kissed her lips. I had such an incredibly difficult time reading this scene, given what I already touched on earlier. Like, I felt literally like I wanted to vomit. Like, the scars on her face are from Sam. Like, werewolves turn into werewolves when they're mad. So presumably she has these scars because he got upset either, like, at her or near her, like, and so upset that he couldn't control it, and they turned into a range wolf, a rage wolf, and physically harmed her. Now, I recognize it is implied that the wolf boys don't have good control over their emotions and powers, and it's clear that Sam is remorseful about it, and, like, it was probably truly an accident caused by maybe toxic masculinity and not being able to control their emotions. But, Still, I do not like having the most warmly described example of love in these books so far being one where one partner literally physically harmed another. And I especially do not love it given the context that Edward harms Bella frequently, but that is painted as okay because they are in love. And also, we are clearly given this scene as a way of showing that Sam is kind and his plight is difficult, but Emily is gracious and warm and everything's okay, so uh, this horrifying event didn't impact her at all, obviously. It just made Sam sad, and it made me incredibly nauseous to read this part. Yeah, and I, like, I, I will also say more about this in a moment, but, like, I think... Like, it, the way you said about this, this is, like, truly the most sort of, like, loving and, like, I can't, I can't think of the word that I'm looking for here, but it just, like, genuine, it just seems so warm and genuine, mm-hmm. this love between them. And for that to be, like, characterized as something that Bella finds, like, difficult or, like, gross or intolerable to be present for when her own relationship has always been so violent and toxic and, like, that's what she and and the book idolizes is really upsetting. Um, yeah. And so, anyway, the rest of the boys come back and Bella is shocked to see that Jacob managed to land a blow on Paul in the fight, um, but also the wound seems to have already rapidly healed. So Jacob tells her that Paul's going to be totally fine by sundown and that it's just like a wolf thing, confirming once again that Stephanie Meyer did precisely no research and just cobbled together her werewolf mythos from discrete parts of whatever Marvel superheroes she could think of. (laughs) Um, And so after settling in a bit, 
Sam announces that Jacob has information for them, which is why they brought Bella to Emily's in the first place. Um, and Jacob explains to the rest of the pack that Victoria is after Bella to avenge James's death. Um, Jared calls Bella bait. We learn that wolves have spidey senses, uh, bringing the, the Frank and Marvel list up to three now. Um, and then Jacob responds in the very healthy way of throwing a can opener at his head. Toxic masculinity where? Um, so then <laughs> Sam decides that with this new information, they're going to change their tactics to try to catch Victoria. And so he, um, and so Jacob, he, he tells her because he can read Jacob's thoughts because that's a wolf thing. Um, hmm. Sam tells Bella that Jacob wants Bella and Charlie to spend as much time as LaPush as possible in the meantime. And Sam tells her that, sure, that's what Jacob wants. But then he says that she needs to decide for herself. He tells her to weigh the risks of both options and then make a decision she's comfortable with. And this moment is so striking to me. Like, this really stood out to me because this is the first time, maybe in the entire series, that anyone asks Bella what she wants to do or tells her explicitly that they trust her judgment. Like, we almost forget half the time that Bella's a character with any agency because nobody ever gives her the room to exercise it. Um, Yeah, but one thing that bothered me about this was that I feel like... So, yes, he's, like, giving her agency and stuff, but what I don't like is that his motivations aren't that that is inherently important, but it's that he considers himself very dangerous and being around wolves very dangerous and is made explicitly clear because before he says this it says that he's like looking at emily and like what happened to her and being like bella do you really want to be near us we're maybe as dangerous as the enemies so it's like more of like an insecurity on his part that about, he like, gives he, her like, autonomy that as like an like his like fear about the pack's like inability to control themselves yeah. and potentially put like her that they would cause her harm instead of protect her yeah that's what i read it more as rather than like it's inherently good that you have I, I autonomy especially that, considering he I, literally gives injunctions yeah i i so do think that i, mean, I do think that, that it's something that he like cuz cuz what i read when he says like weigh the risks of both decisions is like like you can like I want you to understand that it is potentially very dangerous to be around yeah. us, and also with that knowledge, still make an informed decision about whether or not you. Yeah, want to be no, us. and I agree. I think what he did was good, and I think this is definitely the first. And I definitely felt the exact same thing you just said, where it was like, "Oh wow, it was really nice that someone's actually giving her a chance to." make a choice and no one really ever does that i had that exact same thought but then my second thought was i really wish that this wasn't in this grosser context yeah like stephanie meyer why couldn't you just give us legitimately good characters um yeah but bella you know decides to stay in forks uh slash the push uh because she doesn't want to put anyone else in danger right. so then bella spends the rest of her day in the push uh hanging out at billy and jacob's house uh until charlie joins them later in the evening uh we didn't mention it this episode already charlie is her dad um jacob apparently disappears throughout the day to run around as a wolf and i, I quote it. i love it um on the ride she sounds like an old man all the time all they're going running around as wolves these days <laughs> like so on the ride home charlie expresses concern over bella suddenly getting along with jacob again because she like had not been and he asks uh what happened to them fighting and the gang because bella had thought the werewolves were a gang um just kind of funny. That's uh, because Jacob thought that for a while, so whatever. But uh, and Bella explains, you know, 
That's boy stuff. It's just, it's just boy shit. It's fine. So, like, who cares? Uh, and so during the conversation with Charlie, Charlie mentions that Emily uh, had been mauled by a bear a year back. Be like, oh, so bad what happened to that girl. She got mauled by a bear, just like all these hikers right now. Um, <laughs> revealing to us uh, what the outside world thinks Emily's accident was. And so Bella realizes uh, if it happened more than a year ago, that it likely happened when there was just uh, one werewolf, i.e., uh, Sam had no support. Right, and I think that, like, again, here is this justification of, like, why Sam harmed her. Like, he was alone, he didn't have support. And so I really just wanted to take a second here to talk about the trope that this book sets up over and over again of women having to endure pain in order to be in relationships with people that they love. Like, I know that we have been introduced to Emily in the last, like, three pages of this chapter. Um, and I don't remember the rest of her, uh, much of the rest of her role moving forward, probably because she doesn't have one outside of cooking. But I can already see the narrative beginning to paint her as this like selfless martyr and sending the message quite literally that love means tolerating and forgiving harm, selflessly devoting yourself to the person who harms you, like acting like nothing happened. And their relationship is set up as like maybe different from Bella and Edwards, like you said, in that the harm was caused unintentionally. And we do get the sense that Sam is incredibly remorseful about it. But that again, I think like you pointed out, just really normalizes narratives of domestic abuse being an accident that should be forgiven. Mm -hmm. And it also doesn't change the way that Emily is characterized, which is that she's virtuous because she tolerates and forgives being harmed. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So, and again, also, Bella is only thinking about Sam's side of the story. Like, everyone is centering Sam's feelings about this. Sure, Sam had no support. But neither did Emily. She had to lie and say that a bear mauled her. Who could she talk to with the fact that her face was destroyed? Which, I mean, I'm sure she probably has felt that way. By her boyfriend in a fit of rage where he turned into a terrifying and violent monster. And I think also when I hear you say that, what I think of is the fact that, like, she is in a community in which it is very likely that everybody else is going to be sympathetic and protective of Sam. Right? Like, oh, he didn't mean it. He's such a nice guy. He would never. Like, and, and it just really makes me think of how people's communities protect abusers. Right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, who does she have in that community to turn to to talk about the pain of being harmed by somebody that's supposed to love Yeah, because they're going to say, well, it's so painful for the boys right. to have to go to through go this through every this. day. Like, he must be in such turmoil over the fact that he hurt he you. Like, it's all this you. fucked yeah. up shit that we hear from people that protect and excuse abusers. Yeah. I was incredibly triggered by reading this. Like, I had such a difficult time reading this chapter and this part of the storyline. Like, when I was in undergrad, and I think I've talked about this in the podcast before, but I might not have. So when I was in undergrad, my ex attacked me one time uh, due to side effects from a new medication. And everybody was reasonably concerned about how they felt. Uh, just, you know, just because, like, yeah, like, that had to have been terrifying and it wasn't their fault exactly. Although they were incredibly manipulative and abusive in other ways. But, you know, like, things happen. Uh, so everyone's really concerned about how they felt, just like everyone's reasonably concerned about how Sam felt. But no one immediately around me cared about how I felt. Like, they were not making sure that I was taken care of, despite also having gone through something incredibly traumatic. And, like, I thought that I had to completely center my ex's feelings. Right, and I think... Uh, and 
that's what's happening. Right. Like, it, it just, it's this, it's this place of like, I, I tell clients that I work with all the time, like, we can be empathetic and understanding of where someone's behavior may have come from. Like, for your ex, this aggression was a side effect of the medication. For Sam in this novel, being harmful was a side effect of him turning into a werewolf. Like, yes, we can be understanding of that. And also, that does not excuse the impact of the behavior and the harm that Mm -hmm. was caused. And so to hear that, like, everybody is tending to the person that has caused harm without creating any space for you to talk about what it was like to experience somebody's aggression like that is really awful. Yeah. This is gross. This is a horrible example for teenagers. It's not great. Like, it's deeply upsetting. It's a horrible example for anyone, but, like, I definitely took this as something beautiful as a teenager. So they eventually get home. Charlie and Bella, that is. And the chapter ends with Bella dreaming that she's holding hands with Emily. Uh, They're staring into the woods, waiting, waiting, and I quote again, anxiously for our werewolves to come home. So that's that chapter. That's that chapter. Um, Do you want to, on a lighter note, would you like to hear my favorite part of this chapter? I would. My favorite part of this chapter is Emery saying the phrase, well, the wolf's out of the bag now. I love it. I love it. I want to start using this in casual conversation. And also, I have a question. Did Embry make that up himself? Or does the pack just have a bunch of idioms where one of the words is replaced with the word wolf? Like, you can't teach an old wolf new tricks. uh, Or don't look a gift wolf in the mouth. (laughs) No use beating a dead wolf. (laughs) Yeah, that's... <laughs> uh, but you can lead a wolf to water. <laughs> Don't you cry over teach a wolf. Wait. You can you can <laughs> teach, you can a, teach a, wolf. a wolf to fish. <laughs> I was thinking because they turned into were- to learn how to be a werewolf properly. You teach, could a, teach a man, teach a man wolf. give a give a man a fish. Give a man a wolf. Hold on, hold on, hold on. No, I got it. Give a man a fish, and he eats for a day. Teach a man to phase into a werewolf. <laughs> He's super fast, he, like Sonic, <laughs> and his best friend uh, might forgive him for being a murderer. Did I get it? I think I did it. <laughs> what was my your favorite part? Was just when Jacob turns into a wolf. She keeps calling instead of calling him Jacob, she calls him the Jacob Wolf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. And then we refer to him as the Jacob Wolf over and over again. It was so funny to me. It's great. The Jacob Wolf is beating the Paul Wolf. <laughs> <laughs> It makes me feel like they're wolves dressed up as Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> that would be so much better. Oh, do you want to hear about When do we get the reveal that they cut their hair short because it makes them shaggy? Yeah, I... I, I know that it's explicitly why? mentioned. I know it's explicitly mentioned in the book somewhere. The, the reason that they cut their hair short is because if they don't, they're going to have, like, 
long really matted werewolf fur? Yeah. Fuck. I'm like 99% positive that that isn't canon and not something that I read in the I can't wait till we get there. Do you want to hear about chapter 15? I really do. What's it called? It's called Pressure. And it is spring break in Forks, motherfuckers. What? And Billy Joel's playing. (laughs) (laughs) The song Pressure. Oh, man. So instead of getting wasted on the beach and slashing her tits to a camera or whatever white girls do on spring break, however, Bella just spends all of her time. Let me do that for you right now. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's spring break on summer twilight book club, motherfucker. Oh, wait. I did not. This break when I do it. When I do oh it. I my god. It again. I'm um, sorry, you have to see my titties again. Are you ready? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna yell spring break this time. Do it, ready, 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 do it. Okay. Spring, spring break! <laughs> <laughs> oh my, my god. Job noticed me. Oh man. Um, so Bella <laughs> essentially says that it doesn't matter that the rest of the pack thinks that she and Jake are dating because Jake and I knew how it really was. Uh, but then once again acknowledges that she knows Jacob wants to be with her and she doesn't discourage or clarify anything because she benefits from having him around. So again, we're just seeing Bella selfishly yeah. taking advantage of Jacob's feelings for her to her own benefit, refusing to set boundaries or be clear about her feelings because she's so worried about losing him. Bella, oh my God, like do a boundaries worksheet. I put one on the Twitter. It's right there. Okay. Um. So just because it's been a little while since we were reminded that every human man in the town of Forks, Washington is trying to get it in with human scarecrow Bella Swan, we're treated to just a bafflingly stupid exchange between Bella and Mike. Goes a little something so like dumb. this. Bella, so Mike, Bella goes to work. Mike asks Bella if she and Jacob are dating because Jacob followed her to work to make sure that she didn't turn into a vampire snack. Um, he's clearly jealous. Bella's like, no, we're not dating in the technical sense of the word, but I do spend most just, of my time with him. That means. He's my best friend. Also, yeah, what the fuck does that mean? Just say you're not dating. And then Mike is like, Bella, you're a fucking idiot. Clearly the strapping teenage dog man astride that expertly rebuilt <laughs> motorcycle is in love with you. And Bella's like, yeah, I know, but you heard what Avril said. Life is complicated. And Mike's response is, I shit you not. And girls are cruel. Excuse me? That's a song from, like, 2002. Like, excuse the fuck out of me. What kind of loser-ass, nice-guy bullshit response is girls are cruel? I hate him. I hate Mike. I hate him. (laughs) I honestly don't know what to make of this part either. Like, what was Stephanie Meyer's intentions here? Like, did she want to portray Bella as in the right and boys as being narrow-minded and making harmful assumptions about girls? Because and that, like, I, I could be if, reading. Well, I mean, I, I wonder if that is it, though, because, like, Bella does say something about, like, oh, I guess that was an easy assumption for him to make, too. So yeah. there's, like, almost this little something of Stephanie Meyer giving us, like, yeah, that's a really fucking stupid thing for Mike to say, but I don't think she, like, goes far enough. No, no, because, like, it could be a reading of this line. And we, the reader, know that she at least attempted to explain her boundaries a few times, and the situation is complicated. But we also know that she sort of intentionally leads him on to get what she wants out of him. So, like, oh, Bella. Like, oh, Stephanie. Like, what am I, what am I supposed to be getting out of this? Like, what is your message here? So, 
So whatever. So Charlie and Bella have dinner at Billy's. After that, we're reminded again that Emily is only valuable for her domestic proclivities. And then Jacob and Bella sneak off to hang out in Jacob's car in the garage, I guess. Yeah, why? Like, I don't know. I hung out in some pretty weird places, I guess. I think it's because they can't Billy remember Bill. Oh, it's because the garage isn't wheelchair accessible, remember? It's explicitly mentioned that Billy can't get to the garage in his wheelchair. So it's like when Eleven locks herself in her room and then, like, closes the door and so, like, Hopper can't get in and Stranger Things. It's like that, but for your dad who's in a wheelchair. That's what Stephanie Meyer did for us in this book. Thanks. That's what we wanted. So, yeah, they hang out in the garage, and uh, Bella asks if Jacob is always feeling like someone just took... She's like, are you always feeling like someone just took you out of the oven because it's like a wolf thing? Because he's so hot all the time? And he's like, yeah, it is, in fact. Uh, And so then he also tells us again... Uh, that the fast healing is also a wolf thing, because, like, earlier when he had been fighting with Polly, he's like, oh, no, it's fine. We heal really fast. Don't even worry about it. Wanna see? <laughs> and then he just <laughs> pulls out a fucking knife. He's like, here, let me just stab myself right quick and show you. Yeah, I'm super hardcore. God. Like, oh, man. Um, Bella's like, no, please, please, please maybe please not, don't. actually. Um, also, like, isn't that. Bella, like, very scared of blood? Doesn't remember the whole thing where she... Anyway, um, that wouldn't have no. ended well. Yeah, she is. She's, she is. She passes out. She passes when she out when she sees blood. Anyway, um, so... She's gonna be a terrible vampire. So this... The, Jacob almost stabbing himself acts as a really great segue um, for him to tell Bella a little bit more about what his transformation was like. And he tells her that it just sort of builds in someone until something suddenly snaps, which sounds a lot like a euphemism for edging, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. Um, And so then uh, he also says that, like, getting really upset about something can trigger the transformation, but that he wasn't upset. He was actually happy with Bella, which is why it didn't happen sooner for him. Um, And the thing that set him off was that, like, when he came home from the movies and was feeling, like, sick, Billy said something to him offhand about how he looked weird, and that was all it took, and he, like, snapped and presumably exploded into a werewolf. Yeah, so not only are they definitely Hulk powers, but we have further proof that they are mechanized by werewolf PMDD as well. Love it. Also, how did... How did Jacob not destroy their house? He just constantly described as being very, very small. Like, there's a point at which Bella... Like, I think we're gonna get to it, but, like, there's a point at which Bella's, like, if he... Like, turned into a werewolf right now, he would, like, wreck this entire car. Um, so how did he not destroy their house? Um, but yeah, so Bella asks him what the hardest part of all of this has been, and he says that besides having to hide from Bella what was going on, the hardest part of being a werewolf is this feeling of being out of control and not knowing if he can trust himself to keep other people safe. Um, and I can't help but notice, again, the stark differences here between Jake and Edward, because Edward recognized that he was not a safe person to be around, but always articulated it in a way that was really paternalistic and manipulative. And mm-hmm. here, Jacob is so much more vulnerable and earnest about this, like, really intense internal emotional conflict that he's experiencing, which makes it a lot easier to connect and empathize with him as a character in a way that it always feels impossible to do with Edward. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's very true. Like, I thought about that too when, like, Jacob mentions that he's dangerous or Sam mentions that he's dangerous. Like, they're saying it, like, it was, for Edward, it was always like, oh, I'm dangerous now, but on a whim, I've decided that you shouldn't care. No, you should care that we're dangerous. No, you shouldn't care because I'm bored. Like, it almost seems like, like, and and I I think I said this when we were reading Twilight, but it's very much like, oh, I'm a bad boy posturing. Yeah, like, break up with your survival instincts, I'm bored. Like, (laughs) um, will you make that the episode title? That's so good. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Um, (laughs) That's pretty accurate for this episode, though. Um. But when, like, Jacob or Sam says it, they're like, yeah, I'm actually quite dangerous, and, like, you really have to decide how you feel about that. Like, I can't make that decision Right, like, you. I can't change this thing about me, and I have an internal emotional conflict with it, and, like, about it, and I'm and dealing with that, and also, like, you need to make a choice about whether or not you feel comfortable being around me knowing this thing about me, which is a very yeah. different approach than Edward takes. It's like, like, I'm giving you... I'm dangerous. yeah. It's like, I'm giving you information. Yeah. If, if being a wolf were an STD, it'd be like, disclosing it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. By the way. Just so you're aware. <laughs> you um, might have your face fucked up forever. Um, <laughs> tell me what Jacob talks about next. So Jacob mentions that it's easier for him to phase into a wolf. He's super fucking good at it, everybody. He's really good at it. He wins awards. Um, but it's, he's, it's nepotism, though, um, in case you're wondering. <laughs> werewolf nepotism. It's werewolf fucking nepotism. It's bullshit. Uh, it's inherited wealth because <laughs> both of his great-grandfathers, one of whom was also Quill's great-grandfather, oh. so they're related, by the way, they were part of the last Quillian uh, werewolf pack. So, like, yeah, of course he got into Yale. His dad went to Yale. His other dad went to Yale. <laughs> of course. Of course he his, got in. His dad and his other dad. <laughs> yeah, I really, great, I really great think, dads. You know, honestly, I think that um, Jacob needs to make a recommitment to um, uh, socialist werewolf politics and really redistribute his wealth. The werewolf. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway. I think I think they need to start a, a WSA, uh Werewolf Socialists <laughs> of America. Yeah, so anyways, uh he's like, Yeah, so it's inevitable I was gonna become a wolf. Um then he says much more sad uh, much more somberly. Sad sadly. 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 He's so sad. Sadly. Sadly. So sad. Um anyways, um he's like, that's why Quill's gonna become a werewolf too. Fucking bummer. Yeah, he says, oh, he he's never, gonna get really big and hot, though. Hey! <laughs> Anyways. No one mentions that part. The werewolf boys out there, they're so fucking... You know, they don't understand how good Do they you? have it. Sure, they turn into werewolves, but they also but they get also very hot. they also get huge and really hot. Do you think... I bet they could all... Never mind. Get wh- are are you are are you thinking what I'm thinking? Because I'm thinking about werewolf orgies. Are you thinking about werewolf orgies? I was thinking about basketball. Because <laughs> <laughs> she tells me talks about how tall they are now. But I really like that you were thinking about werewolf orgies. Oh, that's really good. Gay werewolf. Orgies. Gay werewolf orgies. 
like, listen, I... (laughs) (laughs) Stephanie Meyer has given us yet another (laughs) metaphor for coming, which is just, like, the intensity, like, builds up inside of them until they, like, explode into a werewolf. So don't fucking tell me that these boys aren't out here getting that good werewolf D from one another. <laughs> well, Sam and Jacob do seem to be a couple. Um, yeah, so Bella then asked what's the best part of being a werewolf, and she weirdly enough doesn't say the werewolf orgies. <laughs> Why? Uh, you wouldn't mention that to her. Uh, <laughs> And uh, he's like, yeah, no, it's, I go really fast. <laughs> uh, um, Gotta go fast. Yeah, we can run fast enough to catch a vampire, which Bella recognizes is pretty fucking damn fast. Like, sonic fast. <laughs> so Jacob asked Bella more about the Collins and vampires in general. He's like, hey, so what about, I'm getting really mad. Right? No, that's later. That's later. Sorry, just that's I think Renata is like, oh, what's going on? And then for the first time, oh, I think she like, I don't know. She does something here. I don't remember what it is. <laughs> so she he, looks upset. No, no, so what happens and he's, is that he, he asks her just to like talk about the, like it just sort of casually he like brings up vampires in general. He's like, oh, I just told you about like, some werewolf shit. Like you tell me something that I, I think what he says is like, tell me something that I don't know about vampires. Because I'm telling you about things that you don't suckers. know about werewolves. What? About bloodsuckers. About bloodsuckers. Oh, yeah. And then she, like, holds herself. And then he's like, hey. Um, yeah. Why? And so, then for the first time, Bella's actually like, able to, like, answer. And again, I think this is an important indicator of how safe and secure she feels with Jacob. And how important it is that she finally has someone she can share this part of her life with. Without fear. Right. Like, he's the first person that really has any knowledge or understanding of what has been going on in her life. And so finally he asks her why Edward killed James and Bella tells him about Phoenix um, and about James almost killing her in the dance studio and about how she got the scar on her hand. And when she tells Jake about James biting her and Edward sucking the venom out, she can like physically feel him start to lose control. Like he's shaking. She can tell that like he is getting really upset. And so to calm him down, she tells him, about Jasper and Alice's vampire powers. She conveniently leaves out any mention of sexy breath. Um, And then she gets really upset thinking about how the things that Alice saw in her future vision are now never going to come true. Like she says, like, oh, Alice saw that I was going to be turned into a vampire. Now that's never going to happen because they left. Um, and and, And so as she is getting increasingly upset about this, Jacob notices that she's like wrapped her arms around herself and he's like, hey, why okay, do you always... happens. Yeah. yeah. And, he, so, and, and so he's like, hey, why do you always do that when you get upset? What are you doing? And so for the first time in this whole book, Bella finally is vulnerable enough to admit to someone, like, what the emotional turmoil she's been experiencing is like since the Collins have left. And she tells him that thinking about them makes her feel like she's breaking into pieces. And I think this is the first time we hear Bella admit to anybody how wrecked she has been since Edward left. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's, I, I, look, I, I don't want to say that it's like a sweet moment or a nice moment, but I think that it's important. 
Like, this is the mm-hmm. only, I think Jacob is the only character with whom Bella has anything close to, like, a normal, like, vulnerable relationship, relationship with. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, the, Bella- Like, at t- least, at least, like, um, stringing along a boy who you just want to be friends with is, like, normal high school. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Like, honestly. Um, yeah. So so then Bella tells us that she's having a lot of trouble filling her time in La Push. Uh, Jacob is busy out doing hot wolf shit. Um, so he can't hang out with her all the time. And it's awkward for her to hang around to Billy's because who would have guessed that hanging out with your friend's dad slash dad's friend without either your friend or your dad present might be kind of weird. Um, Can you imagine just hanging out with my dad? No! I cannot imagine just hanging out with I can almost... I can almost imagine hanging out with your dad. Like, we would just, like, get, you know. Yeah. I won't, I won't say it because your dad is a person with, like, a real life I don't <laughs> want to destroy. Um, but, you know, oh, we'd hang out. We'd watch Riverdale. Yes. Yes. You could absolutely watch Riverdale with my dad. I don't know what I would talk to your dad about. Florida? Florida? <laughs> Um, my dad would just ask you a lot of questions about your job. Yeah, that's fine. Um, just tell him to listen to the podcast. <laughs> nightmare. Nightmare. Um, so then Bella says that she also tries to I hang out. Wait, speaking of a nightmare I, of that, I literally told Chris before my family reunion, I was like, I would be less upset about you outing me to my family that I would be about you revealing to them I have a podcast. Oh my god. I was like, it's infinitely more upsetting to me if you accidentally told my family that I'm gay and non-binary than if you told them them that. Um, So, Bella um, also says that she tries to hang out at Emily's, but she can't stay there for more than a few hours because she's too grossed out by Sam and Emily's loving relationship to be able to tolerate them in the same space. That is literally not what she says, which I think it's important to point out because it's like a very different tone. And I think it's actually like an important tone to touch on is she literally because what we've already been saying is she literally says that she's overwhelmed by it because she doesn't have because uh, she doesn't have she doesn't say this part explicitly, but it's implied. She doesn't have that love anymore, so okay. it's too hard for her to bear seeing them in love. Like, much more dramatic, big high school vibes. All right, that's fair. That's fair. I'll accept that. Um, but so as a result of this, she ends up wandering on the beach alone, and being alone makes it harder for her to employ all of her maladaptive avoidance mechanisms. So she winds up overwhelmed by thoughts of Jacob and the pack being in danger, of Charlie being in danger, of what the fuck is going on in her relationship with Jacob, etc. And so Jacob finds her on the beach curled up in a ball, and he apologizes to her for, and I quote, ruining her spring break by, you know, protecting her from murderous vampires damn jacob how could you um but then he's like oh i'll make it up to you let me take you to do something fun and he's like hey why don't we go cliff diving i promised i would take you cliff diving let's do it and so bella agrees to this not because she wants to spend time with jacob but because she has discerned that her emotional wellness has been deteriorating because it's been too long yeah. since she heard Edward's voice and not because she's been isolating herself and avoiding her emotions. Sure, Bella. Cool logic. Yeah, your mental health is deteriorating because you're not having hallucinations. That, great. Solid logic. 
so Bella gets to Jacob and Billy's. Oh, sorry, Jacob's. Well, Jacob and Billy's. And Billy tells her uh, the pack ran across a fresh trail, so Jacob's out with them trying to track down Victoria. Uh, meaning that he can't take her cliff diving. So Bella worries about the wolf's safety for a while, and not for the whole time, basically. And even though Billy reassures her for the millionth time, the wolves, like, know what they're fucking doing, Bella. Uh, she's still upset and decides to spend the day at the beach. Uh, which she immediately is like, why did I do that? But, so that doesn't seem to help much. Uh, and she's still restless and worried about Jacob, and she's just, like, looking at the waves that are crashing around, and she's like, there's no wind. There's no wind, and the waves are crashing. The waves have a life of their own, and there's no wind, and I can feel the pressure of the storm! <laughs> um, which is literally what, it literally says that a lot. Like, do you feel storm pressure? No. I don't know what that means. And so she even anyways, says something about, like, even with my, like, weak human senses... Like, I could notice the pressure change. Whatever. <laughs> Fucking whatever. Yeah, I don't know. So, um, so she's worried about Jacob, but mostly she seems mad that she was cheated out of an opportunity to trigger a hallucination of her abusive ex-boyfriend. Have I mentioned how deeply I want Bella to go to therapy? Like, once or twice. So, Bella decides... Fuck this impending storm, and Jacob be damned. The pain she feels thinking about Edward's absence is too much. I'm gonna go jump off a fucking cliff. Like, holy shit, Bella. Bella, in this moment, essentially rationalizes her decision to go cliff diving by saying that she needs a distraction from the guilt that she feels at putting Jacob's life in danger. Like, immediately before making this decision... About jumping off a cliff. She's like, I feel so bad. It's my fault that all of these boys are in danger. I'm going to go jump off a cliff. Talk about a lack of fucking distress tolerance. Like, Bella is so unable in this moment to hold space inside of herself for an aversive internal experience. She is willing to put herself in harm's way, something that we have talked about before as a trauma response, in order to not have to experience these feelings. Like, she is so unable to tolerate this that she's like I have to do something drastic um and I I also want to pause here to talk about Bella's intent um because up until this yeah so far at no point does the text indicate explicitly that Bella's goal here is to die by suicide like at no point does she outright say that she's jumping with the intent of dying she's like I I want a thrill But as I reread this as an adult and also now as a person whose job it is Mm -hmm. to do risk assessments for suicidality, I am having a really difficult time understanding what else her objective here could be, whether or not she is consciously aware of it. Like this becomes... I want to also point out that when she does this, she doesn't go to the lower cliff. No. She's like, I couldn't figure out how to get to the lower cliff immediately, so fuck it, I'm going to the top cliff. Like, I had no time to waste, is what she says. Um, yeah, and, I have to do it right and now. And this sort of, this becomes even clearer in the next couple of pages, but I want to bring it up now because I, again, can't help but think about how this is an act of desperation that really comes directly out of Bella's lack of distress tolerance. Bella has no understanding, no skills, nothing in her toolbox to know how to tolerate or regulate any of her emotions. And the only thing that she can think of in this moment to stop feeling the way that she's feeling is to literally throw herself off of a cliff. And so I also want to be really clear in saying that this is the level of risk at which I would have to seriously consider hospitalizing somebody. Mm-hmm. Bella has I intent. I said that in my notes, I think. Bella has intent. 
She has means and she has a clear plan by which to kill herself, even if that is not her stated intent explicitly. And I I also want to make very clear that Bella's reasoning is something that I hear from clients all the time, all the time when we are talking about suicidal intent, whether it is passive or active. The thing that I hear most often from people when I'm trying to understand the root of somebody's suicidal ideation is I just don't want to feel this way anymore. I don't know what else I can do to not have to experience this distress. This is why I work so hard to teach people emotional regulation and distress tolerance skills. Because without that, this is what your brain gives you. I don't know what else to do. I'm going to throw myself off a cliff, which is to say, again, Bella, sweetie, please go to therapy. Please. Mm-hmm. So as Bella gets closer to the edge of the cliff, Edward's voice finally surfaces. And she says that it's uh, it was only when he was disapproving like this that I could hear the true memory of his voice. Jesus fucking Christ. I know. Like so red is- motherfucking flag. Red fucking yeah. flag. Reddest of red yep. flags here. So this is so telling of how Bella characterizes her relationship to Edward. He feels most real when he's critical and controlling. Edward is so controlling that Bella feels most comfortable hearing him disapproving of her. It is something she now seeks out. She seeks out his disapproval. Those are not healthy relationship dynamics. Because it's only to be paid attention to her. He only paid attention to her when he's disapproving. Right, or she and only so- really, like, noticed... Like yeah. when that he cared. He yeah. only showed that he cared by like caring about her not doing dumb things. Like she had to act out like a toddler. And because yeah. that's and how like, he's very paternal. And yeah. and again, like this is something what and and it, like this this is another thing that makes me really like want for us to have more space um to talk about Bella's attachment styles. Um, because like, this is another thing that we see in kids or even in adults that have disrupted attachment is that like, if you are emotionally neglected by a caregiver or by somebody that you care about, you land in a place where you learn the only way to get them to pay attention to you or to give you like any kind of anything is to act out. Like, it's that like is when, why when we see, yeah. like, when, like, we we learn, like, when we are working with kids that are labeled as having, like, quote-unquote behavior problems, we really, like, want to think about, like, what is their experience of parenting? Why are they acting in this way? And here Bella is, like, acting out because the only time that she recognizes Edward is when he's paying attention to her because he's disapproving of something that she's doing. Mm-hmm. We have to do a... Uh... Bonus content for the ten and fifteen dollar patrons soon, so she should just do the fucking attachment styles episode. Might do it. We're gonna have to. We're gonna do it. I don't think might. I think that's just what we're gonna do. Yeah. Look out for it. Give us money, anyways. So, um, these are not healthy relationship dynamics, and this is not something we should be romanticizing at all. And so this also pissed me off because really, this book, like New Moon so easily could have gone in the direction of undoing what Twilight had done and showing how unhealthy that relationship was. Like, that would have been such a compelling fucking story. Stephanie Meyer could have... I'm just doing... I'm just writing fanfic right now. <laughs> Stephanie Meyer could have taken the series in a direction 
Rebella is escaping the abusive, unhealthy relationship she was yes. in and finding community and love in these werewolf boys. Yes. Uh, and acceptance instead, whether or not she ended up with Jacob. Like, she didn't have to end up with Jacob to still be part of his community. I guarantee it that like, if you told I, Jacob, I don't want to be with you, he'd be upset for a while. And I think that there's actually a compelling book. story there to tell about, like, what it is like to leave an abusive relationship and then really sort of, like, gravitate towards the first person that shows you any kindness in any way whatsoever and, like, really having to learn that, like, just because somebody is kind to you does not mean that they're the person that you're supposed to be with and, like, learning to set boundaries. Mm -hmm. Like, there is so much room for this to be... There's, like, so much available setup for this to be sort of, like, an allegory about healthy relationship building and recovery from abuse. And Stephanie Meyer just fucking collapses it all like an unhealthy, toxic, masculine Jenga tower. And I think as Team Jacob, as a teen, that was what I wanted. You know, that was what I found compelling about Team Jacob. Like, I didn't take it as far as we do now, where, where you know, like, the classic, like, the the protagonist ends up alone, because she's healthier on her own. But, like, I obviously want her to end up with Jacob, but to me, I think it's the same, like, it's because that, to me, read as, like, such a healthier yes, and place for her. just the way that, like, any scene that involves the pack is described or like I think earlier in this book we talked about the scene where like everybody's sort of like having dinner at Billy's Mm -hmm. and it's just like so warm and familial and that's like how Bella describes the scene where everybody's at Emily's like there's just this sense of like warmth and love and community and I want that for her yeah not like when she went to go have dinner with uh the Collins it was like super sterile like tense and sterile like even just the way that like the, 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 like, vast difference in description of, like, Emily's house where she talks about, like, it's so warm and there are flowers and it's, like, clean and tidy even though it's small and it's, like, filled with all of these, like, good food smells and she's always baking yeah. and, like... And, like, even, even though, um, the werewolves don't like her and don't want her around, they're, like, still pretty nice to her. Yes. Like, even the ones who are most disapproving are, like... She should just not be in our space. But I'm not going to, like, be actively antagonistic towards her. Um, like, Rosalie and them were. Right, right. Um, yeah, so, back to Bella. So, Bella's standing on the edge of this cliff. Um, and so, as Edward's voice pleads with her not to jump, Bella's response is, but you won't stay with me any mm. other way. Which is so unbelievably upsetting on a number of levels because this part of the narrative again really normalizes being so in love with someone that you'd be willing to harm yourself just to have a chance to be near them and simultaneously it also feels like a really weird subtle normalization of somebody using the threat of harm to themselves as a way to manipulate a partner into staying which is Mm -hmm. straight up abusive If somebody says to you, if you leave me, I'm going to kill myself, that is abuse. That is abusive. And it almost feels like that's what Bella is doing here. Like, I'm going to throw myself off of this cliff because that's the only way that I can get you to stay with me. Again, incredibly triggering to me because, again, the same partner who attacked me, when I said to them, all I said to them was I wanted to start spending a couple of nights alone. Not alone. A couple of nights in my actual dorm with my actual roommates. And then they took a bunch of pills. 
So that's that abusive. is abuse. Yes. And and here that is being sort of great. like subtly normalized. It's like, oh, it's fine. It's not kind fine. of. It is it is not at so all. So Bella throws herself from a cliff. Great. Love that. And just as she is riding the high of the exhilarating fall, wondering what's supposed to be so hard and scary about this, it's like kind of boring, yawn. Gotta find another way to do it. Uh, she drops into the water, and the current catches her. And she realizes that she hadn't considered that, that she was going to have to swim back to shore after she jumped, and that, oh yeah, all those waves I was watching in the water might make that a bit difficult. Right, so she hits the surface of the water, and immediately she's pulled under, and the current is so strong that Bella can't even make her way to the surface. Like She can't see anything, she doesn't know which way the shore is, and she feels herself just sort of helplessly spinning in the water. Um, and she hears Edward's voice tell her not to give up and to keep fighting, but Bella finally asks herself why. And in what is maybe the most upsetting part of this entire series so far, she realizes and explicitly says that she does not want to keep fighting. And this is where the suicidal ideation becomes explicit, right? The message here is extremely clear. It is not that she's too cold or too tired or too scared to keep swimming. She says explicitly that she is almost happy that it was over. And she knows that she's drowning and she does not want to not be drowning. And so as she is drowning, Edward appears to her in the water as this like perfect, visual hallucination that she says that her subconscious has been storing away for her last moments which again is just fucked because it is reinforcing this belief that like you are rewarded for like you okay also in the actual plot of this book though it's like actually edward who saves her right no i don't think it is I thought that later we found out that Edward was, like, watching her and actually saved her from the water. No, no, no. What happened, I think, is that, and I, I, this is, this is, like, maybe a spoiler in delving into the first couple pages of the next chapter. Jacob is the one that pulls no, her. No, 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 I know that, I know that Jacob finds her, but I thought that, I thought that Edward was the one who actually did it. No, so what happens Okay, we'll talk about this off mic, because if I explain this, we're going to give away the whole plot of the rest of this book. People Um, are going to be upset. They want the plot. (laughs) Um, Listen, I don't know. This is is a no spoiler zone. Um, But so, yeah, so this vision of Edward appears to her as she's drowning. This, like, perfect vision that her subconscious has been storing away for the moment that she approaches death. And Bella says, why would I fight? when I was so happy where I was. And she says that being with Edward, even when it's not real, even when it means that she is dying, even when there are people in her life who love her and care about her and would be like harmed and affected by her death, despite all of these things for Bella, being with Edward is what real happiness is. And I don't think that I have to say... Yeah. Did you just go read the plot? <laughs> I, but yes, I, I, I don't think that I have to say much here about how fucking horrifying and unhealthy Bella's approach to what happiness is here. Like, again, it's affirmed that Bella sees her life as meaningless and not worth living without the romantic love of someone who has abused and abandoned her. Um, and I have to say that I think that this framing really heavily contributed to the way that I thought about relationships 
for a very long time. Like, I am not going to blame Twilight solely for this, but it was absolutely one of the pieces of media that most strongly reinforced this belief that I was worthless without a relationship. Like, I, and you know this, you knew me in high school. I spent all of high school and half of college believing that the ultimate goal for my life, the thing that I was supposed to attain, was to end up with a man. And that all of the other things about me, like all of my accomplishments, all of the things about my personality were absolutely meaningless without the attention of a perfect, beautiful paragon of a white man. And so then when those men left, it meant that I was worthless. And that took a lot of time and a lot of therapy to unlearn. And I also have to imagine that I'm not the only one that internalized messages like that from this book. I would also like to remind us all that the the opening quote of this book, because now especially now that I remember what actually happens in this book, is from Romeo and Juliet. Mm-hmm. Where they both kill themselves in a romantic yep. gesture. Yeah. Like, That's what we're being fed here in the modern era. Like, we're really being explicitly Justin told that without the love of a man, Bella's life is worthless. And so here she opening is. Quote, I pulled up my notes from the first episode of the season. The opening quote is, These violent delights have violent ends. And in their triumph die like fire and power, which as they kiss, consume. That is what we're having this all framed with. And that is the end of this fucking chapter. That's the end. Bella is being pulled under. She feels herself losing consciousness. And she says, the last thing I thought was like, goodbye, I love you. And that's the end of the fucking chapter. Great. So I'm just going to go on to my favorite part. because. There's not that much to have favorite from from this part. But Bella, when, okay, I just honestly, I already touched on how fucking funny it is. But just when Bella asked Jake about wolf things, like, Jacob is such a teenage boy in the scene. Like, hey, Bella, want to see this neat trick where I stab myself, but I heal? <laughs> and Bella, of course, is just like, no, I don't care about the healing. Tell me about how huge you are. I just, like, and I just, like, like really want to hear about how huge you are. Is all of you that huge? That's pretty much literally what happens. Werewolf orgies, baby. Um, do you want to hear about my favorite part of the chapter? Yeah. My favorite part of the chapter is when Bella says about her and Emily, we were both wolf girls now. It's like, Ugh. it's like being a horse girl, but it's so much worse. In the previous chapter, um, Emily's like, are you that vampire girl? And she's like, are you that wolf girl? <laughs> yeah. and, like, and then they stared at each other and they were like, respect <laughs> <laughs> oh boy real well, recognize is real that's so that's it for yeah. us so thank you for listening to this episode of summer twilight book club uh please consider leaving us a rating and let us know what you think uh we're on twitter at stbc podcast i'm on twitter at uh Epsilina. um uh, and i'm on twitter and my twitter is private because i like my job a lot <laughs> <laughs> that's why i didn't say it i appreciate um, that i just want i just want the people to know uh that contrary to the beliefs of my clients who seem to think that i don't know what instagram is i am in fact on twitter one of my clients recently tried to explain subtweeting to me and i was like listen i i i know about subtweeting anyway uh, so like your clients think that you're either morally pure or a thousand years old meanwhile i got carded to see midsummer <laughs> 
And the 22-year-old I was with did not get carded. I love it. Amazing. Um, I'm 26. Anyways. Um, what, so what can our lovely sharing... sanguine sweeties find if they were to follow our Twitter? We're sharing very hilarious and awesome Twilight content. As well as sometimes embarrassing stuff about ourselves. Um, and if you join the Orange Rift Discord, you can find us and your other lovely listeners uh, hanging out. Again, seriously, our listeners are fucking hilarious and creative. Um, and they're known as the Wild Ass Bitch Club. And they're some of our favorite people, even though this week we were all just talking about toilets. Um, Man, I have but- not been on the Discord in a minute. <laughs> no, you haven't. You should get on there. It's really fun. To talk about um, toilets. So come hang out on the Discord. Uh, and lastly, if you love this content and can't get enough of it, wish there were more of it, oh, please consider becoming a patron uh, at patreon.com slash stbcpodcast. Uh, we post extended intros, which are always really funny, uh, bonus episodes, um, and other cool stuff on there. Uh, we reached our goals, so we'll be printing uh, stickers soon. Fuck uh, so yeah. keep an eye out for that. Uh, and thank oh, you also, can I, can I do one shout out? Can I do one shout out? Of course you can. I want to shout out Court for making us new art that's probably going to go on those stickers. It's really beautiful. Um, yeah. I think it really captures our essence. Apparently, when she was first drawing it, she was looking at my face and she was like, why does the Hana's face look wrong? What's wrong with it? And then she realized that she forgot to give me eyebrows. <laughs> and then she put my eyebrows on and she's like, ah, yes, this is the Hana's face. <laughs> you can't... <laughs> It's Can especially you egregious without. This is especially egregious for you. <laughs> Y'all can't see Sala covering up her eyebrows right now, but it's so funny. <laughs> oh well, thanks for listening. We love you so much. Um, may your eyebrows always look as good as mine. I have pretty good eyebrows. You do. It's true. Anyway, I hope we love you. Bye. Okay. Is is hello? Is this thing hello? on? Hello? hello. 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 Hey. Hey. Hi. What's up? This is this is Ben Bath, and I don't know anymore. I need out of this fucking podcast. Okay. We got. We got, we, we, we talked about Bionicle for a very long time, and we tried mm-hmm. to stop, but then some evil force trapped us in hell and is forcing us to talk about things that start with the letter B until we die. We did Beyblade, and now we're on Batman, and it's just gonna keep getting I'm, fucking I, I'm, a, I'm afraid of what happens next. I haven't seen my wife in several days. Please help us. Please help please us. us. Oh god, please Joe. Help us. Joe, do you hear that? Oh god. Go to theorangegroves.com and help us, please. God, please! No! No! Oh god! <laughs>